Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be celebrating T-minus two weeks to the start of the football season. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Jim Stick-Schulte, and our guest today is ESPN.com ACC blogger Andrea Adelson. Andrea, welcome back. Thanks so much for being on again. Thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure. Uh, Andrew, I want to get you started on this one. Many of the preseason prognosticators have picked Syracuse to finish at the bottom of the, the ACC. Is there any way that Syracuse can kind of climb out of that basement and at least get toward the middle of the pack? I think there is. I think when you look at uh, the Atlantic Division, uh, uh, the top is very top-heavy with Florida State and Clemson. I think everybody agrees those are the top two teams in the division at this point. The rest of it, though, is really murky, and in fact, I think Phil Steele said uh, I could see any one of these teams finishing third through seventh in any sort of combination in his uh, preseason picks uh, because a lot of those teams have a lot of questions, and Syracuse included. There's a lot of unknowns about this team going into the season, and from the ACC perspective, a lot of the people who cover the ACC just don't know a whole lot about Syracuse because it's a new team in the league. They probably haven't watched Syracuse play a whole lot, and they're just going by returning starters and what the depth chart looks like when they're trying to make their preseason picks. But certainly with the way Syracuse likes to play defense, with the running backs they have returning, with some of the players that they have coming back on the offensive line, if the Orange can pay ground and pound like we've (laughs) seen them do on occasion, then I I certainly think they've got an opportunity to, to finish uh, somewhere higher than sixth or seventh. Now, Andrea, you just mentioned a lot of the the publications in the ACC haven't seen Syracuse. Well, you have, and you've been around the program when Doug Marone was head coach, and now they've transitioned into the Scott Schaefer era. What are the early differences you've seen between the two eras at Syracuse? Boy, that's a great question. I think that uh, a lot of people have already gotten on the Scott Schaefer hard-nosed bandwagon <laughs> because he likes to use that phrase over and over. He wants to be a hard-nosed football team and and so I, I think that certainly comes through. I had an opportunity to interview Marquis Spruill, uh, and he basically said, look, you know, a lot of guys on the offense weren't really used to Coach Chase's style. Us on the defense, we were, uh, <laughs> but they weren't. And it's taken them some time to get adjusted to him being completely in your face, uh, not sugarcoating anything, being right. a guy who's going to be upfront and honest and real and telling it like it is. And so I feel as if that that, is, is a big difference. I mean, he's going to come out and say it, whereas sometimes 
Doug Marone may not have wanted to answer a question or like the question, try to avoid the question. Right. I think that Scott Schaefer is, is much more upfront about things and about his team. Uh, and we've seen that now with him closing practice. Uh, that is something where he came out and said, look, I just think it's the, for the benefit of our team. We need to grow together better, and we're going to do it by, by shutting practice. That's his uh, decision to make, certainly, as the head coach. Uh, and, and that's a big difference that we've seen as well. Now, Andrea, earlier you mentioned Clemson, FSU as the cream of the crop of the ACC. Is one of these teams going to be the team that puts the ACC on the map by getting to the BCS championship game? Boy, that's the, the big question <laughs> heading into the season. I feel like that's been the big question now for a couple of years, is when is the ACC finally going to break through and get a team to play uh, in that national championship game? Certainly, I think of the two, in my opinion, Clemson would have the better opportunity. They start the season ranked just a little bit higher, and they've got that huge opener against Georgia at home, which I think gives Clemson an advantage being able to play that game at night in Death Valley with uh, game day that's going to be there, uh, national spotlight, and how just crazy that environment is going to be. Uh, and then they get Florida State at home. Uh, and, and that has been a game that's decided – uh, the Atlantic Division over the last couple of years, Florida State has not won up in Death Valley in, in several years. So uh, when you're looking at teams and the way the schedules perhaps favor them, I think that's Clemson. But, you know, they're going to have obviously a very tough time to end the year uh, against South Carolina on the road. And that, to me, is the game I just don't know if Clemson is able to win. I feel like they're going to have an advantage uh, in their tougher games at the start with Georgia and Florida State, I just don't know if they're going to have an advantage in the end of the year against South Carolina. But so much can happen between now and then. <laughs> it's just way too early to know. But uh, I like Clemson over Florida State at this point. Wow. Okay. Uh, Andrew, I want to go inside baseball with you for a sec. Uh, you know, you've obviously written for the Big East blog. You're now at the ACC blog. And you've asked this question of the coaches and players from Pitt and Syracuse of what the transition's been like for them. But what's been the transition like for you, or has there been a difference? Well, I was lucky. Last year, I kind of had my feet in both leagues. Right. I did the Big East, but I also did some ACC. And every Saturday or Thursday uh, <laughs> last year, uh, I was watching both Big East and ACC games. So... I feel like I've got a good grasp of the league. I've been able to attend uh, the spring meetings, which are in Florida, where the coaches attend, the athletic directors, over the last couple of years. Uh, so that's given me an opportunity to get to know uh, all the kind of big players in the league. But certainly it has helped me tremendously uh, to already have the connections with Syracuse and Pitt and then Louisville coming in next year, the coaches know who I am, uh, the players know who I am, and that really, I think, helped me out a lot during media day this year. Uh, you know, they remembered me and they uh, were willing to, to talk to me, and you already had kind of that connection. So uh, it's been a good transition, and I'm looking forward to see what both uh, Syracuse and Pitt can do in the ACC this year. Well, Andrea, we're, we're happy that you, pers uh, that you stayed on with the ACC and are, are going to be continuing to follow Syracuse. And, Andrea, always a pleasure to speak to you. Again, ESPN.com, ACC blogger uh, for all things Atlantic Coast Conference. Andrea, thanks so much. Thank you. Call anytime. Always a pleasure to have Andrea Adelson from ESPN.com on. Really knows her stuff. Glad she's making the transition again from the Big East to the ACC with us. Uh, 
Now I'm joined over the phone by the Juice Online senior columnist, Jim Stekschulte. Uh, Jim, it's the time of the year when everyone's making their predictions, whether this team is going to be in the 5-7 and seven range, a 7-5 and five range. What camp are you in when it comes to that? Well, uh, I like to be optimistic about the team. Uh, so, I th so given if I have to go A or B I'm on that choice, I'm going with A, the 7-5. and five. Uh, I see them you know, threatening for a bowl game. I think it's a reasonable goal for this team. They've shown over the last three years that the talent is there, obviously, with the change in coaching regime and uh, the loss of some players to the NFL. Uh, it, it'll be a, it'll be a, uh, obviously there are some roadblocks on the way, but I have to believe that you know they can do it. I mean, and besides, what what did a little optimism ever hurt anyway, right? Well, yeah, I think it's especially good to be optimistic after an eight and five year where you see the team transitioning into respectability again from you know the he who shall not be named era into the <laughs> Doug Marone era. And I think the biggest thing it really depends on is the quarterback situation that everyone's been hearing about that is really the, the million-dollar question right now. Terrell Hunt, Drew Allen, they still haven't named a starter. They won't name a starter until the Penn State game. You, how do you see that shaking out? Well, I think uh, the decision to, to not name a starter is also in part of uh, why Scott Schaefer closed down the practices to the media because I don't think he wants any information getting out. Right. Now, it's not to say that these are the two quarterback options. Two guys who are legitimate options right now, Drew Allen or Terrell Hunt, are there's, there's not a whole lot of tape on them. I mean, Allen threw 30 passes at Oklahoma in a different offense, and Hunt hasn't taken a snap in college football. Uh, not to mention this is the first time offensive coordinator George McDonald is running his own ship. Uh, he has been a coordinator before, but that was with an offensive-minded coach uh, who was running his office in, offense, and so McDonald had a, a lesser role, if you will. Um, I see it as... Drew Allen should be the guy. Uh, before the media blackout, uh, what we were hearing coming out was that uh, it was a pretty equal split of snaps with the first team, and to me that suggests that uh, Allen, who couldn't, who didn't enroll uh, at Syracuse until the second summer session, which was about middle of July, I think, or something like that, uh, in any case, being so far behind uh, Hunt with the ball getting rolling, just the fact that he was he's able to force the issue and get to the point where he's splitting snaps with Hunt, I think that suggests his learning curve is there, and I think also the pedigree is there. He was a very highly thought of high school player, and, you know, yes, he didn't start at Oklahoma, but hey, he sat behind two guys who got drafted into the NFL, and they opted to go with a younger guy, so he's making the case for himself. Uh, he's even getting some mention, obviously, well down the line, because there's almost no tape on him, but uh, he is getting some mention uh, as a potential draft uh, prospect for next year as well. So I think it's going to be Allen. Uh, but in any case, I just hope that whichever guy is chosen is the best one for the team. And the, the offense as a unit, I think there's, there's obviously a lot of potential in the running back unit. Uh, you know, Jerome Smith, Prince Tyson Gully, we know where we're going to get out of them because we saw, obviously, there's a lot of tape on them from last year. But I think the real question of the offense right now, besides the quarterback situation, is actually the wide receivers because you have – uh, Jared West, who comes as the number three receiver last year and now is thrust into this number one receiver role. And then there's a lot of question marks around him. Um, you, you have Jeremiah Cabina, who played great in two games last year, and then he hurt his wrist, and we never really heard too much from him. And then we have Quintana Funderburk, the, the Arkansas transfer, who apparently was mentioned in every single telecast because I guess they had some sort of mix-up with the numbers. But you have... <laughs> A lot. You have one semi-proven guy who can show that he's probably like a number two or three receiver and solid on that end. Can he be the number one? And then what are the other wide receivers around him? 
Well, like you said about West, yeah, he is far and away the most established uh, guy on the roster. He had 43 catches last year, uh, including a couple big games. Uh, he's got decent size. He's got actually pretty good size. And the one thing I took away from him last year was he had good strength, able to break some tackles and make things happen after the catch. Uh, that should fit well if Syracuse is running a similar offense to last year where they run a lot of slants and short passes and rely on receivers to make plays. Um, and after that, yeah, it is a bunch of mixed bag, uh, you know, surprise-type stuff coming from the rest of the wide receiver group. Uh, in addition to Cobina, there's a uh, senior Christopher Clark. He's another guy who played some last year, had about 10 catches, but, they're both, but they both fit in that same profile where they're speed guys. Uh, Cobina did have the big game against Northwestern a couple couple touchdowns in that game but he disappeared as well clark very small uh got banged up and he you know they used him from they got from him what they could basically but it wasn't much and i think uh his health is just based on his size is always going to be at least a nagging question uh beyond that it is a bunch of unknowns uh adrian fleming was a senior who hasn't really shown much yeah exactly i mean there's it you know even and funderburg like you said is you know, uh, he was a very high, highly rated recruit, went to Arkansas, transferred, heard all these great things about him. There are even some snippets about how he was giving uh, the first-team defense a lot of problems in practice last year. And then, and now, you know, nothing. He's running with uh, the reserves, even the third team. Uh, a couple of young guys, Alvin Cornelius, uh, the second, and Ben Lewis, but they're a couple of redshirt freshmen. So just based on that, you know they haven't uh, seen any game action uh, in college. So... Uh, I mean, the one other thing that helps out is our tight end back at Wales. He had uh, 35 catches last year, and, I mean, you know, he and West should be a good one-two punch. Obviously, with Alec Lemon and Marcus Sales in the roster last year and Lemon setting school records, huh. you know, these guys were complimentary players, but at least these guys, you know that there's two guys who are established performers uh, in your passing game who can help uh, help the team, including uh, being, you know, and probably with if it's a similar offense in that short pass, uh, thing you know, kind of both fill that security blanket role uh, for whichever quarterback, the guy, that reliable guy who you go to on third and six or third and seven to convert the convert the first down. Well, let's let's move to the defense now, and I think the 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 best, most experienced returning unit is the secondary. You know, they lose the biggest guy they lose, and it's a big guy, Shamarco Thomas, but there's a lot of experience in that secondary, having only lost one starter, and then you move to the middle linebacker or the linebacker core. Siriki Diabate, the middle linebacker, is gone, so they're going to move Marquis Spurl back to the middle linebacker role that he was in his uh, true freshman year. And you have some experience there. You have Dyshawn Davis, who started a lot of games last year, Cameron Lynch, who's going to fill out in that outside linebacker role, and Llewellyn Coker, who's actually seen a lot of action. He's going to be in the mix as well. So that's kind of an experienced uh, unit behind that defensive line. Yeah, uh, the the loss of Shamarco in the in the secondary is a big loss. Obviously, he was a you know a superb performer at Syracuse. Obviously, drafted in the fourth round, you know big hitter back there. But when you look at the top seven defensive backs from last year, the other six are still there, uh, including the top three cornerbacks. So uh, between Richard Anderson, Keon Lynn, and uh, Brandon Reddish, I you know I feel pretty good about the cornerback at Syracuse. Uh, you know the safeties maybe not so much, but still uh, Jeremy Wilkes was a starter last year. He's played in every game in his three years at Syracuse and had over 60 tackles last year. Uh, you know, the other thing is the, the way that the defense has been run is 
what they do some different things like the Oki package with five defensive backs and two linebackers or you know various other things and moving guys around particularly in the defensive backfield is a lot of guys get to play I mean you know uh, when I said the six of the top seven defensive backs are back this year it's got and it's not doesn't just mean that there's that the you know the bottom two guys in that list are guys who you know barely played and hardly saw action on the field and spent most of the time on special teams and these are guys who played significant snaps on defense and so they're not just coming into uh, a role that they're unfamiliar with. Uh, the linebackers, as well, you're absolutely right about Spruill. Uh, he moved from outside linebacker as a freshman to the middle in the sophomore year, back to the outside last year, and back to the middle. So he's clearly the most experienced guy in the linebacker unit. He started every game in, in three years at Syracuse uh, that he's played in, which is you know something that's very rare. And the thing I love about the outside linebackers in both Tyshawn Davis and uh, Cameron Lynch, they're both playmakers who fit the aggressive style we've seen under Scott Schaefer that I have to believe we're going to see under Chuck Bullough as well. Um, they both blitz. They both make plays. They, you know, they make ag- they play aggressively and fast. Get into the backfield and wreak havoc. Whether it's uh, snuffing out run plays or pressuring quarterbacks, they make things happen. So now the the last unit that we really need to mention is obviously the defensive line, and you know Deion Goggins, Brandon Sharp, they've moved on. Jay Bromley's the the, the main guy returning. He's a, he's a playmaker, and I think he's going to be. Uh, you know, one of the best players on the Syracuse defense this year, but there's some question marks around him, and I'm not sure how much of the production we're going to get on the front four push. Yeah, I think uh, Raymond, uh, John Raymond is a big question mark. A, yeah, actually, not even a question mark so much as a wild card. He could be a big help to that interior unit. Uh, Bromley, as you mentioned, is the, the primary guy at defensive tackle for the Orange, uh, one of the captains this year. He's an excellent player, a little... Uh, a little unheard of, actually, outside of uh, Syracuse circles, probably. But he's a strong defensive tackle. Uh, again, this is the defensive line is another position where, you know, actually the whole defense where uh, there's a lot of substitution going on and rotational players. So he, you know, Bromley's the is the lead guy inside. But uh, Eric Kroom and Zion Jones and a couple of the guys who are back also saw time at defensive tackle last year. So not a whole lot of experience, but it's there. And Bromley will hope will be the big leader. Raymond is. He's just a house. He's a guy who transferred from Iowa. Uh, they tried to get a. They tried to appeal to get his eligibility instated for last year. Instead, he had to sit out the year. But he's ready to go. He's six five three twenty three, and he's athletic enough that there's talk that he might play outside on defensive end. And you know, if, at least if you get a guy with that size and some and strong athleticism uh, playing on the outside, at least on you know on you know, obvious rushing downs, you know that certainly can help. Um, you know, hopefully. Something comes out of the defensive ends. As you mentioned, Brandon Sharp uh, finishes eligibility, so I'm sure the defense is going to miss his eight sacks from last year. Uh, but hopefully, you know, some guys step up and, you know, just make solid plays. I mean, I think with the aggressive blitzing that goes on or that we've seen under Scott Schaefer, I think we'll see that continue with, guy, with you know, linebackers and safeties and, and even the occasional cornerback coming from all angles to try to help. The pass rush on this defensive end. So, Jim, your uh, your your extensive preview on the football season is going to run next week, and we're mm-hmm. it's going to discuss this in more depth. So, guys, if you're listening, look out for that. Uh, Jim, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts? Well, uh, the one thing we don't talk about when we talk about uh, previewing Syracuse football is some of the human interest stories that we see coming out about players leading up to the season. Uh, you know, with the media getting to cover short amounts of practices. You know, uh, other media outlets look to fill in, fill uh, information with player profiles. And the one thing I'll, that always gets to me is reading about some of the things that the players on the team overcome. Uh, guys like John Raymond or Terrell Hunt, you know, things they they 
gone through in their lives and, you know, as they chase their dream. And it makes you really want to root for the guy and hope that they succeed uh, as, as people and not just as players for Syracuse. It's a nice closing thought, Jim. Uh, my closing thoughts are going to be on the Syracuse basketball exhibition against McGill in Canada, the Orange doubling up the Canadians 80-40. Uh, to 40. Hard to really take too much away from the beginning portion of the season, but I was glad to see Tyler Ennis, who's going to be taking over for Michael Carter-Williams, finishing with 11 points, showing that he can run that offense. Uh, so it's a good sign. I'm really looking forward to the beginning of the basketball season as well. That's it for us for Jim Stick Schulte. This is Wes Chang reminding you that when I was a child, I thought as a child and spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I took that child out back and had him shot. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time.